A Jewish story has it, a rabbi once said, in olden days, there were men who actually saw the face of God. Why don't they anymore? asked a student. Because nowadays, no one is willing to stoop so low. God gives us many blessings and we're expected to share these with others. And as we share, we bow down to present the honours that we have received from God. As we bow and make ourselves vulnerable, if we're willing to not just be on our knees, but to prostrate ourselves as we serve others, we may truly see the face of God. This is the first time I've preached here but I gave a version of this sermon about two years ago at my previous church, Basingstoke Baptist Church. Shall I move back a bit? Does that help? Now, personally, I feel most comfortable when I'm preaching to have the same three points in all of my sermons. I like to look at what does the text say? What does the text mean to those who first heard it? And how can we make use of it today? And there are many, many other ways of preaching and um, presenting God's word. And personally, I really do rejoice and learn from all of the other ways that God's word is presented. But the way I do it is the way I do it. So today, we're looking at Matthew 5, 1 to 19. And hopefully, we shall see some of the many ways that we've been blessed by God. And hopefully, we'll see some of the many ways that we can present the honour of these blessings to others. Now, I'd like us all to read together the Bible passage on the screen. And if anyone's got a personal electronic thing and wants to read it on that, then please feel to follow. We're looking at Matthew 5, and these are verses 1 to 10. I need to look at the screen as well. Right. So, if we could all speak to, uh, read these out loud together. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, I'd like to start this study by looking at the context. The Jewish faith of the time was totally filled with rules. If you wanted to be accepted by God and blessed by him, you needed almost a lifetime of keeping to the rules. John the Baptist had challenged this by preaching you could be accepted by God through repentance and a new life following baptism. Jesus was just starting his public ministry and would take this challenge to a new level. Now, the trigger for Jesus starting his ministry was twofold. First, he had just turned 30, which was the age given in Numbers 13, sorry, Numbers 4-3, rather, for a priest to start preaching. 
It was also recognised as the age of maturity for a leader. The other trigger was the arrest of John the Baptist. John had been spiritually clearing the road for Jesus to walk on. And with his arrest, the ground was now clear for Jesus to do do whatever else was needed. Now Jesus was down near Jerusalem when he heard about John's arrest. He then returns to Galilee and revisits his first disciples and gathers them together and was touring around preaching in the synagogues. It is significant that Jesus starts his public ministry in Galilee, away from the Jewish centre of Jerusalem. It is showing from the start that his message was for those who believe, not for those who have who feel they have a right to belong. The last few verses of chapter 4, that you did not read, show that a large crowd was following Jesus. Jesus was recognised even at this stage as a rabbi, which means teacher. And Matthew tells us that he went up onto a hillside and began to teach. A rabbi will always sit down to give formal teaching, which is what Jesus did. And the style of the Greek used in verse 2 makes it clear that what Jesus taught the crowd was typical of what he was teaching his disciples. This first teaching session of Jesus continues all the way through to the beginning of chapter 8 in Matthew. And that includes the section we call the Lord's Prayer. But we'll only be looking at verses 1 to 19 today. So, Jesus starts his sermon with the nine statements that all start with the word often translated as blessed, and which we call the Beatitudes. And we're probably very, very familiar with these um, as we read them, but do we understand them in the way that they were understood by the original crowd? The English word blessed comes from the Latin noun beatitudo, which is why we have the word beatitude. Four of the blessings are given in Luke using slightly different words in a separate teaching session, which we call the Sermon on the Plain. But we're on a mountainside today. Now, in both Greek and Hebrew, this is getting a bit technical, but it's worthwhile to know, that in both Greek and Hebrew, there are two words that are used for blessing. One Greek word, elugo, or something like that. If you know Greek, you'll be able to correct my pronunciation. That refers to a blessing that is given as a reward for doing something. But the word used by Matthew, and also by Luke in his account, is makarius, which relates to a blessing that is given before anything has been done. It describes the joy and satisfaction someone feels when they know they've been accepted by God. So although we could read... Um, verses 3 through 12 as though Jesus was saying if you do these things then I'm going to give you a reward brownie points or whatever in heaven it's the wrong interpretation it's better to look at these verses as saying God blesses people who are doing these things and he continues to build them up while they continue to do those things This second interpretation fits in with the other uses of the type of words and phrases that Jesus was speaking. 
both from what we see in the Old Testament and the historical teachings of various rabbis that we've not got included in our scriptures. So today we're going to look at the, each of the blessings in turn and look at what Jesus was saying and how we can interpret them today. Some of these blessings can easily be found in the Old Testament, but others are harder to find and are words that Jesus is introducing to show his new teaching. So, we have blessings right from the start with verse 3. Blessed are the poor... Oh, sorry. Is this doing anything? Yay, sorry, I missed a slide out there. I've got a prompt here to tell me when to change slides. I've got to do something when I get to the prompt. (laughs) So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first part of this is taken from Isaiah 66.2. And the version of Isaiah does help in understanding what it means. I am pleased with those who are humble and repentant who fear me and obey me. Because the words poor in spirit do not mean someone who has a weak faith. It means someone who is humble, who knows that they are lacking in all of the riches that God can give them. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a bit revolutionary. Jesus is saying that anyone who is humble and repentant is accepted and blessed by God. No big list of rules. No big list of tasks to do. Just being humble in the face of God and turning away from past sins is what God is looking for. Further, being humble and repentant is not just for one special person. It's for everyone. It's for me, it's for you, it's for you, it's for you, it's for you. It's for everyone here, and it's for everyone out here. We can all be humble and repentant in the face of God. And Jesus declares such people as righteous because the kingdom of heaven is filled by them and We know that God does not have sinners in the kingdom of heaven. He just has righteous people. Being humble and repentant means you're accepted by God and you will be in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. If it's doing it. Aye, yes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, to understand the first half of this verse, we have to understand why people might mourn from a biblical perspective. In the Bible, we see people mourning due to personal loss. A friend or a relative, someone they love, has died. But we also find people mourning because of injustice. Isaiah 61, verses 2 to 3, promises that God shares the pain of injustice and comforts those who cry out because of it. (coughs) And this comforting is not just a one-off hug, but a continuing ministry of the strength and emotion that allows someone to cry out into injustice. 
And if we put these together, we get the interpretation of God blesses people who cry out when they see injustice. And they are continually given the comfort and strength needed to do this. Moving to verse 5, we see, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this time Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37:11, "The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity." And also Micah 6 verse 8. Sorry. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So we need to dig a little bit deeper into the word meek to better understand what Jesus is saying here. The Greek word used by Matthew is praeus, which means someone who can accept what is good and protest in the right way at something that is bad, which is a lot of thoughts to wrap up into a single word, but the Greek was sometimes really expert at packaging thoughts into words. So we need to understand what is meant by the land also, because that is a key phrase. And the same phrase is used both by Matthew and the psalmist. People who heard Jesus would without question understand the words the land as meaning all of Palestine. They would understand it as meaning the land promised to the Jews by God. Jesus will later tell his followers to take the message to the ends of the earth, beyond the land. So Christians are justifying and referring to the entire earth and all in it that is good as the land promised to them. So this can give us the following interpretation. Jesus blesses people who praise the good and protest against the bad and they enjoy the bounty promised by God. These first three blessings also have a strong social message, both to people who think they are privileged because of family, wealth or status, and those who do not feel they have any privilege. We see that heaven is full of people who are repentant, not those who are arrogant. Justice will be given to those who deserve it most, not to those who can bribe the most. God's promises will be given those who campaign for honesty, not to those who feel they can take what they want. Perhaps more importantly, they say that individuals can be blessed by God. Most of God's blessings in the Old Testament are directed to groups of people. Very few are directed to individuals. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are personally blessed, and those who can claim some of the thoughts of Psalm 1 are blessed. But very few other people are are individually blessed. Most of the time it is to groups of people. But the first part of the public ministry of Jesus says that anyone who seeks God's guidance is personally blessed. Now we see personal blessings so often in the New Testament that we can overlook how big a change this is the people who first heard it must have been overwhelmed by the idea that they could be personally blessed by God through the things that they did personally that honoured God. 
We now look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, most people here, and most people in the developed world, do not know what true hunger and thirst are. I personally don't. If it gets past my dinner time, I feel there's a bit of a rumble down there. But true hunger, where you've not had any food for days, and thirst, where, again, you've not had anything to drink for more than 24 hours, we don't know. The people who heard these words of Jesus did. And they probably buried family members who had not survived famine or drought. The words of Jesus talk about seeking righteousness with the same continual desire that someone who is dying of hunger or thirst is seeking food or water. So seeking righteousness is not just a one-stop shop at Asda, or a New Year's resolution forgotten by the 27th of January, has anybody got one of these? Or have you forgotten them all? (laughs) It's a lifelong learning exercise. If we are seeking righteousness, we should dig into what this means. Righteousness is not something that we can acquire by our own actions. It is a status that we are given because of our relationship to God and to others. Some of you may know that the state of Israel has got a noble tradition as declaring as righteous among the nations someone who has done the Jewish people a great service. And if you've seen the film Schindler's List, you may remember that Oscar Schindler was declared a righteous person because of the lives that he saved. The Bible tells us that in our relationship with God we can be declared righteous by him if we continually seek his guidance and most importantly put into action what we have learned. We see this in Psalm 63 verse 1. You God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you as in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And in a different way in Genesis 15 verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So we can get the interpretation for today. God blesses people who seek his guidance like it was food to prevent them dying of hunger. And they are given more than they need. We now turn to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The first characteristic that God shows to his people is mercy. Exodus 34, 6 shows this. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He showed mercy to his people. This shows that God is actually eager to show mercy. Being merciful to others is simply part of showing respect and love. But all that is needed to receive mercy from... Sorry, being merciful to others is simply part of showing respect and love to them. But it is all that we need to receive mercy from God for our own failings. 
It allows the text to be interpreted along the lines of God blesses people who show compassion and mercy for they share in God's mercy. Now, verse 8. Yes, we got there. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, a pure heart is more than just doing what you've been told is right. Your thoughts also need to be right so that what you do comes naturally and is not forced. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5 also show this. Who has got the right to go up the Lord's hill? Who may enter his holy temple? Those who are pure in act and in thought. This can give us the following interpretation of the word verse in Matthew. God blesses people who have pure thoughts because they share the thoughts of God. God's thoughts are pure and holy, but they're not unreachable and remote. We can share them if we guard our own thoughts and concentrate on the love of God. In verse 9, we read, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And for me, this is the most emotionally powerful as the Beatitudes, as it shows the full love of God. It is saying that people who seek to bring about peace are adopted into God's family. We need to remember that God's original plan did not include um, violence. It did not include disagreements. God's original plan for us was that we would live together in fellowship with him. So to be able to bring about the peace and the fellowship that God originally planned is a major thing. We call Jesus the Son of God and Jesus tells us that peacemakers will also be known as sons by God. It means that God is adopting us into his family. In biblical times, being adopted into a family was a big thing. It is today. But conceptually, it was perhaps almost a bigger thing then. It meant that you were accepted totally as part of that family. You would share in the inheritance. You would share in everything that that family had. Being a peacemaker means that you can share in everything that God has to give. And perhaps the best example of a peacemaker in the Old Testament in Elisha is, and we read about Elisha in 2 Kings, um, chapters 2 to 8. But if we want to look at a modern day peacemaker, many people here may have heard of Canon Andrew White, sometimes known as the Vicar of Baghdad, and some will have had the privilege of hearing him speak. Andrew is a peacemaker. He is clear that your enemy is very often just someone whose story you've not yet heard. And he has helped many people tell their stories to their enemies. And through that, many enemies have become friends. But what might be surprising is that Andrew's biggest critics are not those who you think might be his natural enemies, but some of them are those who you think might be his natural friends. They complain, how can you spend time with that totally evil person? 
There's an echo there of the same complaint made about Jesus. How can you spend time with sinners? Please pray for Andrew and pray that Andrew's MS would keep receding. It bubbles up and sometimes goes down, but he does suffer very much from MS. Pray that he will have the strength to continue his work of reconciliation and relief. And pray for his safety in the land of uncertainty where he works. So, going back to Matthew, (laughs) we need to do that. I think the following is a, a good interpretation of these verses for today. God blesses people who are peacemakers and they are adopted as children by God. Now, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to some extent, verse 10 acts as a summary of the previous eight verses. And as we will see, it will also act as an introduction to verse 11. All of the previous verses have described the various ways that people seek the guidance of God. Verse 10 now says very plainly that by seeking God's guidance, you're not going to have a trouble-free life. You're going to have problems. The reuse of the phrase at the end of this verse, for they fill the kingdom of heaven, also signifies that this is a summarisation of what has happened before. Now, we see blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Persecution is widespread. But because people who are persecuted feel the kingdom of heaven, it means it's not ignored by God. You have the good news that people who do seek God's guidance are the same people who fill the kingdom of heaven. It does not matter what happens to me, to you, to all of us while we're here. If we seek God's guidance, we will be filling the kingdom of heaven. So God blesses people who are persecuted because they seek his guidance, because they fill the kingdom of heaven, as a summarisation of that verse. Now, if anyone thinks I've been taking a bit too many liberties with rewording these verses, if we have a look at a different translation, the CEV, we can see that that shows something a bit similar to what I've been saying. Personally, I, I prefer either the Good News Bible or the um, contemporary English version over the NIV um, as I find that both of those are a lot easier to read than the NIV but in this situation um, I think the CEV has got um, a very good translation of these verses Um, Good News Bible uses the word happy instead of God blesses the people and that sort of takes God out of the equation there. So the CEV version, I think, is much more in keeping with the words, with the rest of the words that Jesus is saying. So, as we read before, these verses from the NIV, perhaps we could read these verses together again from the CEV, and then we'll also go on to read verses 11 to 19 from the CEV. So, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the side of a mountain and sat down. 
Jesus' disciples gathered around him and he taught them. God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. God blesses those people who grieve. They will find comfort. God blesses those people who are humble. And earth is... God blesses those people who want to obey him more than to eat or drink. They will be given what they want. God blesses those people who are merciful. They will be treated with mercy. God blesses those people whose hearts are pure. They will see him. God blesses those people who make peace. They will be called his children. God blesses those people who are treated badly for doing right. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. God will bless you when people insult you, mistreat you, and tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Be happy and excited. You will have a great reward in heaven. People did these things to the prophets who lived long ago. You are like salt for everyone on earth. But if salt no longer tastes like salt, how can it make food salty? All it is good for is to be thrown out and walked on. You are like the light for the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden, and no one would light a lamp and put it under a clay pot. A lamp is placed on the stand where it can give light to everyone in the house. Make your light shine so that others will see the good news that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. Don't suppose that I came to do away with the law and the prophets. I did not come to do away with them, but to give them their full meaning. Heaven and earth may disappear, but I promise you that not even a period or comma will ever disappear from the law. Everything, is written, sorry, everything written in it must happen. If you reject even the least important command in the law and teach others to do the same, you will be the least important person in the kingdom of heaven. But if you obey and teach others its commands, you will have an important place into the kingdom of heaven. So, we'll look at the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely claim, say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this verse expands a lot of what has been said in verse 10, but it is obviously in a different style to what we previously read. You could think of it as a bit like a sandwich, where the first and last parts sum everything up by saying, blessed are, pe- sorry, blessed are you when people insult you, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the bit in the middle is the filling, The filling expands a bit on the first part of the verse, giving examples of the problems you might expect. Then we get to the real jam in the middle. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is repeating the teaching that by seeking God's guidance, 
you are sticking your head up and plenty of people will try to shoot it off. It would be wrong and foolish of us to expect anything else, really. But God is more than generous in the blessings he gives to those who serve him. To complete the interpretations of the blessings, we could say God blesses people who are insulted, persecuted and falsely accused of evil. Rejoice and celebrate because you are more than rewarded in heaven. They gave the same persecution to the prophets who lived before you. In all of the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing the result of accepting him as Lord in our lives. We've been made citizens of the kingdom of heaven and are there by right and not just on a short visit. We have the Holy Spirit to comfort us through troubled times and we're not left here on our own. We've received the promises of God. We've been given all that we can ever need. We can even share in the thoughts of God and have all the benefits of being part of his family. However, the verses we've read today show that we're not called just to receive. We should share what God gives us with other people. Verses 3 to 12 show us how we can share and reassures that by sharing, we will continue to receive what we need to top us up. But sometimes if we look at our own lives, we can think maybe all these blessings look a bit like a burden. How can we live up to all that God has blessed us with? How can we be a peacemaker along the lines of Andrew White? We actually need to look elsewhere in the Bible for our answer so that we can rejoice and rejoice and rejoice again in the blessings we've been given. There are many places we could search, but we're going to start at a couple. If we look at Ephesians 4, verse 11, we'll see Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And then in Corinthians 12, verse 10, to others he gave miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now these passages make it clear that each of us is gifted in different ways. We all share the same blessings from God, but each of us has specific strengths given by God. We can perhaps all be peacemakers between the people that we know and the people that we love. But only a few of us will have the gift of making peace between mortal enemies. This message is reinforced in Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to build you up and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We are all unique. And God has a unique plan for each one of us. It would be wrong of me to compare how I, how I have served God against what Andrew White or Mother Teresa have done. It would be wrong of me to mark myself down because I do not think that my life has had the same impact as theirs. We should look just at our own lives and our own walk with God and rely on God's immense strength rather than our own feebleness. God only expects us to follow the plan he has made for us. 
He does not expect us to follow the plan he has made for someone else. Going back to Matthew, we see that we need to share what God has given us um, and this is made a lot more clear in verses 13 to 16. Um, Yes, in New Testament times, rock salt was ground up and scattered on the house floor to deter insects and pests. Now, rock salt always contains some sand in it, and after a while, the salt would get dispersed, leaving only the sand. So the salt had lost its saltiness. We also have salt that was refined much as it is today to improve the improve the flavor to improve the flavor of food. So, we've accepted God can become the salt that can improve the flavour of life for others. If we lie on the floor doing nothing, we'll eventually lose our saltiness. But if we try to improve the flavour of life for others, we will remain salty. God will top us up. We're also compared to a city on a hill. Now, a single house on a hill, may be difficult to see. And even a village you could perhaps lose in a valley. But a city is so big, it cannot be hidden. We've accepted God into our lives, are the light of the world. It is our job, our duty, to bring that light to the rest of the world. Some of us may physically only be able to bring that light in the slow shuffle, while others are physically able to run far ahead into the darkness. But all of us are needed. All of us are useful. And we should all play our part. Now we've seen in verses 3 to 10 that Jesus was saying that God's blessings are available to everyone who seeks the will of God. He now wants to make clear that he is not setting aside the old law but he is fulfilling every part of the law given to God, sorry, given by God to Moses about 1,500 years before the time of Christ. The laws from God were intended to help people live a life that was acceptable to God. If a law was broken, you should make a sacrifice to show that you were sorry and discourage you from making that same mistake again. And the sacrifice needed to be something of value, otherwise it would not make any sense. But the culture of those times, 1,500 years ago, money was hardly known or used. So a sacrifice was very often an animal or grain or oil. And to be a sacrifice, an animal was normally killed. And part of the animal or grain or whatever was burned to show that it had been permanently set aside for God and could not be used for anything else. And the rest was used to support the priests in the temple. The problem was, people quickly found that they could live lives the way they really wanted to, without looking at God's commands, as long as they provided the right sacrifices. So people stopped really following the spirit of the law At most they followed the letter of the law and sacrifices had got to be treated more as a tax rather than a deterrent. But we see in Isaiah verse 111 that God has no desire 
for a tax type of sacrifice. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, says God. What God wants us to do is given a few verses later. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. A similar message is given elsewhere in the New Testament and we've seen something like that in the quote from Micah. And all of this is reflected in the actions and the words of Jesus. Now the first way that Jesus fulfills the law is by keeping all the positive requirements of the law that the people had increasingly ignored. But he does go a lot further. One of the big problems is that for centuries people had not really taken responsibility for their actions. But we see elsewhere in Luke 24, 46 to 47 and Matthew 20, verse 28. One of the reasons I have this written down is I could not remember those references. I need them written down. (laughs) Now we see in those references that Jesus takes this debt of responsibility onto himself. By taking the debt of responsibility that people have ignored, he wipes the slate clean. Not only for the people who lived before him, but he also wipes the slate clean for us and for everybody else who has lived after him. The second way Jesus fulfills the law is by restating it according to its purpose a law that needs to be lived by faith. We see this in John 3.16, Matthew 17.20 and elsewhere. Indeed, the verses following our section from Matthew 5.21 through to the end of his sermon in in chapter 7.28 could be considered as a series of examples of how we can comply with the law by living it by faith. The Old Testament law is only good if it is lived by faith. If you live it by works, then you make the law the target of your attempts at acceptance instead of God your target for acceptance. If your aim is to never break the law, then it becomes natural to surround the law with a hedge of rules so that you never get close to breaking it. And this is what the Pharisees had done. We see in Matthew 12, 9-14 that the Pharisees were living by the law in complaining that Jesus had healed a man's hand on the Sabbath. The law had somehow moved between people and God and was a stumbling block to accepting Christ. The purpose of the law is to point us to God. Jesus shows in his reply that he is living the purpose of the law in his reply to the Pharisees. We must also live the purpose. By accepting Christ and asking him to guide our lives, he will also um, show us how we can live according to the purpose of the law. We will not simply just be pointed to God, but we will be adopted by God as his children. So to sum up, There is no end to the blessings that God can give us. So there is no end to how we can use this honour from God to help others. Let us give thanks for what God has given us. Now if you have any questions about what I've said, I'll be around during the refreshments.
But also, could you please give the church leadership some feedback about what I've said? Because it will help them decide whether they want me to present here in the future. But thank you. <laughs> and amen and God's blessings. <laughs>